You fought in the Clone Wars? Yes. I was once a Jedi Knight, the same as your father. Here we go. I have a bad feeling about this. Follow me, boys! You're not shinies anymore. Go, go, go! Welcome to another episode of The Clone Wars Strikes Back. This is the podcast where we go back and celebrate the six-year history of Star Wars The Clone Wars by discussing each and every episode and episode arc. This week we will be discussing the Grievous two-parter from Season 2, that's Grievous Intrigue and The Deserter, as well as the standalone episode, Lightsaber Lost. To discuss these episodes, I'm joined, as always, by my co-host Kieran. Kieran, how oh, are you this Well, week? I was fantastic before I came on here, but unfortunately we've had a, a number of technical <laughs> difficulties which have impeded my my ability to use Skype. I don't know whether it's the technology or my ineptitude, but uh, um, either way it's not been working a lot. But we're finally here now and I am looking forward to discussing the Grievous duology and next, well, one of my favourite um one one standalone episodes in Lightsaber Lost. Yes, and to do that, we are also joined uh, by our good friend from Echo Base Media and the Star Wars Underworld, Mr. David Delgado. David, how are you? Awesome, glad to be here. What a great set of episodes we got to discuss. Absolutely, and uh, just a little while ago, we actually sat down with one of the actors from this arc, uh, Mr. Chris Edgerly, who played Jedi Master Eth Koth, and he appeared on the show thanks to uh, David's connection. So we're going to play that inf- interview for you right now. All right, so we are super excited here on The Clone Wars Strikes Back to be joined by a very special guest from these episodes. You know him as the voice of Eth Koth on Star Wars The Clone Wars. It's Mr. Chris Edgerly. Chris, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Good to be here, Dominic. Yes, thank you, thank you for joining us. And again, we apologize for the wacky Skype issues before. No <laughs> but we're, we're all here now. Um, so I want to start off just by asking you, um, how were you first introduced to Star Wars? Uh, do you remember seeing it back when you were a kid, or was it? Did you find it later in life, or was the Clone Wars your first experience with it? Actually, um, I'm in my 40s, so I saw Episode Four uh, oh, when it was just called Star Wars, and <laughs> I saw that when I was eight years old in the movie theater. So that's fantastic. Yeah, I mean, you guys are younger, so you've actually never known a world without Star Wars, but I actually did. I I had gone to see a movie earlier that year called Race for Your Life, Charlie Brown. It's just this animated feature, and it was just a bunch of kids. And before the feature, they had trailers. And there was a trailer for this movie that was happening in space, and it was really loud, and there was a bunch of explosions. And then I remember seeing this woman in a white dress in a spaceship next to a big furry guy. And we thought, (laughs) what in the world is that? That's weird. (laughs) And then before we knew it, my older brother had seen it, and he told us all about it. I saw it five times in the theater. So Wow. <laughs> yeah. 
So I got introduced to it pretty much at the exact perfect age you want to indoctrinate a kid. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) That's definitely the right age for it. Um, Kieran. Yeah, you have, hi, Chris. You have the questions here. Hi, Chris. I, I, I have the questions. Don't worry. Uh, I managed to find it somehow along. So, again, apologies for the Skype issues. That was my fault, everyone. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, a quick question is, how did you come by the role of Eve Koff then? Uh, I mean, was it, was it a personal choice on your part? Was it recommended to you? Uh, how did you get involved in that, in the uh, Clone Wars? Actually, this the typical way is you just audition. They're uh, in the voice acting world. There are, um, there's just an inordinate number of auditions coming your way every day, uh, several a day usually if you're, if you're busy and if you've got a good agent. And I have, I have a very good agent. And um, this was something that I auditioned for along with everybody else. And uh, I managed to book the part. So it was something that I think they had had a hard time casting because the voice of Eve Koth is, it's, it's a noble voice, uh, very elegant. And they couldn't quite get the accent right. People were doing sort of this caricature of an Indian accent. And they said, we're not really looking for that. <laughs> you know, we don't want a convenience store clerk. Uh, to be, you don't want a poo from The Simpsons in there. Huh? You, don't want, yeah, you want something a little more graceful, a little more noble. And so I just I managed to be able to do that effectively. And so I was hired. Fantastic. Well, you mentioned his voice. Um, did you draw any uh, inspirations uh, from – from anything in particular for his voice or was it mostly from direction? A lot of it was direction. I mean, we've, we've consumed so much media at this point in our lives. We've seen so many movies and TV shows and things that at some point I'm sure I heard a nice, elegant voice. I mean, I think they may have even said his uh, accent is, I would say it's well-educated Indian or even Pakistani. um, And uh, it's just something that sounds, um, I guess to use the word again, graceful. And I probably called upon something I had seen and used that as a resource. But whatever it was, uh, there was some of me in there. But, yeah, the director always uh, plays a big part in it, too. Dave Filoni was really helpful. Yeah, we hear that a lot from from all the voice actors. Dave Filoni is is the man and, and yeah. just from listening I mean, to that guy talk we can tell yeah. he is definitely the man if anyone has a handle on that world it's dave <laughs> oh, yeah. we're so glad that they brought him back <laughs> yeah yeah it's all around now right yeah it's all rebels <laughs> gotcha well it's in good hands yes absolutely absolutely uh, and in relation to Dave Filoni there, uh, I, I, I listened to listened and watched his featurette, and he said that in the original script, Eve Koch was supposed to be killed off in the opening duel with General Grievous and, and the Ma- Ma- Magna Guards. Um, did, did you have any input on this and uh, to change his mind, really? Because obviously that would have been uh, quite something to have Eve Koch uh, return and then be killed off after two minutes because he's, he's, he seems like such a cool character already. And and did you would you have had any thoughts uh, about him being killed off in the opening scene? So it's really just you know, uh, bringing him back, but j- just the thoughts about that original script. You know, if he was going to be killed off. Uh, would that have been a good dramatic effect, killing off at the start, or just, just disappointed to kill such a cool character? Well, I I'd, I'd like to think I would have had some input, but uh, no, not really. I I was the hired gun, and so yeah, they they knew what they were going to do. But I I remember him telling me um, 
this was uh this is a cool character and and I don't really want to kill him off yet in this episode. And he he would joke with me and say, If I bring you back though, it'll be to kill you off. But <laughs> but you'll survive this episode. So that's that's kind of how it all hung. Uh it it just sort of hung there because the the Clone Wars is now done and so technically I I wonder if um uh, are we still there? Oh, yeah. I just wanted to make sure somebody didn't drop. Yeah, <laughs> technically, I guess because of um, uh, what happens in the future uh, with the Clone Wars, that all the Jedi, almost all of them are gone, but um, there's always some discussion about that. Well, technically, he may not be, he may be, but for that episode, you're right. Originally, they were going to dispatch him much earlier, but they thought they could do some interesting things with him. So I think I just lucked out there. I, if you if you ask an actor, he's always going to say, "No, keep my character alive so I can come back," or give him a really cool death if you're if you have to do it. But yeah, no, I didn't. I didn't get to have any story input there. That's too bad. That's too bad. Well, you mentioned that you know they kept him alive, and of course the Clone Wars is sadly over. Right. Um, but did you? I, I, if you can't answer this, I completely understand. But did you ever go back in to record another episode that is hidden away somewhere in the Lucasfilm vault? Well, I, I could tease you and say, well, I can neither confirm nor deny that. But now, I, <laughs> I never, I never recorded any new Eve Koth stuff. So um, that's pretty much it. That's a one-off. Uh, I think you yeah. can see him on the periphery of other episodes, and and I mean, he's he's throughout the canon, but. As far as him um, actually having lines and being an integral part of the story, that's the only episode. So yeah. that's it for him. Unless, <laughs> unless for some reason they use him for Rebels. But, yeah, I'm not sure how that would happen. You never know. Anything is possible. You know, we're always, you know, if they were able to bring back Darth Maul, I, I think that uh, yeah. Heath Koth could maybe make a reappearance somewhere. Right. Absolutely, of course. Okay, good. <laughs> Sorry, I went off and online again, which is uh, yeah, I don't know what's happening with my Skype at the moment. But um, anyway, another question for you, Chris: uh, Are you are you considering voicing or acting any other future Star Wars projects? And if so, do you have any particular or specific characters in mind? Um, well, I I think I'm like most any other voice actor. We really just sort of go where the work is and. We, uh, I think we would all love to be on a show like that. And I actually have a friend or two that's on Rebels. So, yeah, I would, uh, I'd love to be a part of the, uh, of the Rebels universe if, uh, something comes out and I get to read for it. But so far, nothing's come across, um, come across my, my microphone, as it were. But, um, again, it's, it's a waiting game in a lot of ways. So, um, if something comes up, I will throw my hat in the ring like everybody else. So it would be great to do. I, I mean, the stories are really cool, and of course, the fans are the most loyal fans too. So it's a great world to be a part of. Yes, yes absolutely. I think uh, I think the three of us also here are, are envious of you of getting to have been a part of <laughs> part of that world. Um, do you have any other uh, projects you're working on right now, or anything anything coming up in the future? Well, most of what uh, you probably get this a lot with voice actors. Most of what we work on, they don't allow us to talk about you uh. disclosure <laughs> agreements and things like that. But um, one thing I do regularly is um, I'm on uh, a show called Dragons Riders of Burke, 
and it's based on how to train your dragon. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. brilliant. That's cool. I do the voice of Gobber. I voice match Craig Ferguson from the movies. So oh, nice. Yeah, I think we've done like 40 episodes of that, and we're recording new ones. We've, we've been picked up for another 52 episodes, so... Excellent. Yeah, that's, wow. that's something you... In the States, you can find that on Cartoon Network. I don't know where it airs in the UK, if it does. So <laughs> I'll, I'll find a bootleg version somewhere, don't worry. <laughs> yeah. Find it online, I'm sure. So, oh, of course. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and uh, Chris, uh, well, we, we want to be respectful of your time. We've uh, kept you here uh, far longer than we intended to with all of this crazy Skype stuff that was going on before the show. Uh, but before we let you go, um, we understand that, that you and David actually have an announcement for us. So I'll, I'll throw it to you, David, to let us know what, what you guys have coming up. Well, Chris Edgley will be making – is this your first convention appearance, Chris? Uh, for Star Wars, yes. I've done a couple of Comic-Cons, but I've never really done something on behalf of a specific character, so this is officially the first one. Well, this will be Chris Edgerly's first appearance at a convention since portraying Eith Koth in Grievous Intrigue. He's appearing with Echo Base Media at Santa Rosa Toy Con at the Sonoma County Fairgrounds on June 21st, and we're really looking forward to that, and he'll be signing autographs and meeting fans fantastic so yeah if you're in if you're in the uh, uh the area the santa rosa area on saturday june 21st that's a little over a month from now be sure to check it out you can uh, get an autograph from chris say hi to david and uh, let them know that you heard about it on the clone war strikes absolutely so yeah so chris <laughs> thank you so much for uh, sticking with us and uh may the force be with you yeah and also may the force be with you all right, may the force be with you. Take care, guys. Thanks for having me. All right, and we want to thank Mr. Edgerly for joining us uh, on this episode. He brought some some great insight into playing Jedi Master Eth Koth on those episodes. And again, thank you, David, for uh, getting him on this episode. And we have another surprise, and we're actually going to be giving away a signed picture of Eth Koth signed by Chris Edgerly, again, courtesy of David. But to answer to enter you need to answer our trivia question. And so the question is, what is the name of the system that Grievous takes Ethkoth to and the Jedi go to rescue him from? So you can find that in the episode. So to uh, answer the contest, you can post the answer on our Facebook page, um, either in the comments or on the wall, or you can email us at uh, uh, Clone Wars Strikes Back at gmail.com. And again, that question to win the signed Eth Koth picture is what is the name of the system where Grievous takes the captured Jedi Master Eth Koth and where the Jedi go to rescue him? All right, so let's jump into these episodes, starting with Grievous Intrigue. And uh, Kieran, do you have a episode description for us? Yeah, let me just get my bearings, guys. Uh, again, with all the uh, kerfuffle with the technical difficulties, my notes have suddenly disappeared. No, they haven't. I've got them here now. It's all good. Right, okay, so synopsis for Grievous Intrigue. Jedi Master Evecoff is taken hostage and tortured by General Grievous. Anakin, Obi-Wan, and Adi Gallia devise a daring plan, but they soon realize the General has a plan of his own. And this is the episode synopsis for Deserter. Whilst searching for General Grievous on a distant planet, Rex encounters a deserter. 
<laughs> That's the synopsis for the deserter. <laughs> All right. <laughs> it's a, a very succinct, straight to the point. Excellent. All right. So let's let's start off by discussing uh, the Jedi Master, Eth Koth. I mean, this is the first time we've seen him on the show. It's the only time we really got to see him on the show. We'd seen him, you know, in the background here and there in episodes one and two. In fact, we thought he'd been killed off in episode two but the clone wars decided to uh to make the change and bring him back um so what was your uh, initial impression of eve koth uh Karen, i'll throw it to you first oh eve koth was a very very interesting and intriguing character and from what we heard uh, chris edgerly say he um he, he pretty much said that he was very you know knowledgeable very open-minded wise and balanced really i, I thought there was a lot to admire about Eve Koffer, even in his brief appearance in this episode. It's obviously the first time we hear, hear him speak. And f- from the accent that, that I could glean from, it, it, it certainly seemed very, um, I guess, oriental, exotic more than anything else. And I, I, I thought his character uh, combined with the voice and just, I guess, his, his principles, his outlook, Compared to other Jedi, say like Luminara, which we won't go into again, um, uh, I, I just feel that Eve Koff was a very, very intriguing Jedi, and I know he got captured, and, and seemingly that's that's not a great way to open yourself, open your account on the uh, to the Star Wars fans, Jedi getting captured. But I, I, I really enjoyed his character. I was really disappointed not to see more of him, to be honest. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I, I, I'm with you. I, I quite enjoyed his character. I thought he was, uh, he seemed wise. He had a, he wasn't quite, he's not quite on the level of a Kiaidi Mundi for me, but he still, still seemed like a, like one of the better Jedi. David, how about you? What'd you think of, uh, of Eve Koth? Koth is pretty cool. I'll, uh, I'll try to keep this brief, but, um, he, <laughs> he, we see in, in 20 minutes this, this Jedi, show up and get shot in the arm by a commando droid and still take on Grievous with one hand. I think that's like uh, one of the things that stood out about him the most for me is just that he um, is this fearless Jedi master who um, fights Grievous with one hand. I mean, there's not much more to it than that, but like, that was an amazing, yeah. amazing yeah, tool. Like, right up there with Grievous versus Kit Fisto, oh, as, as brief as it was. And we did see him uh, just about beat Grievous, had Grievous not cheated with his bodyguards. You know, the Force always seems to give <laughs> yeah. the Jedi the upper hand on Grievous. It's all that it always seems to be the, the the go-to tactic to, except in Chapter Twenty of the Micro Series, of course. But we, let's we're not talk about that one. But but the yeah. Force works on Grievous in this series, and he gets blasted up across the bridge and and almost defeated if it weren't for the bodyguards. So I, I would say Ithkoth is quite a skilled warrior, and, um, you know, his a little bit of his background in this episode, it's kept really, really vague, but they say Ithkoth was hunting separatist agents in the Arda system when he was captured by Grievous. And, like, what does that mean? Does he have this special skill set for, for seeking out um, agents? Like, does he have this intelligence background? We see him do the hand signals and stuff. And and so it's interesting to think that he may be sort of a Jedi spy type of character. Um, and separatist agents, that could mean, like, Dooku's dark acolytes, maybe, 
he's more suited for fighting dark Jedi. And and so that really interests me. He's definitely like like Kieran said, he's just very intriguing and it's and we we wish there was more of him. So get it fleshed out a little bit more. But character, cool character. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I think you kind of point out some stuff there that I hadn't really thought of with this this whole, uh, you know, hunting separatist agents, and then you combine that with the hand signals. I mean, the hand signals, such a cool little, such a cool little touch. I really like that, that the Jedi are able to, you know, do a little, little bit of hand motions, and everybody knows exactly what's going on. Um, and of course, he's also, he's, he seems like a, you know, a proud warrior that he's able and willing to, you know, lay down his life to, you know, to, for the for the cause, you know, he was willing to to die at the hands of Grievous, um, and he kind of he kind of told the Jedi at the end there, you know, hey, you should have just let me die. You should have captured Grievous in, instead of saving me. And well, so, if it was Luminara, then it, that would have been the case, um, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah, if it was Luminara, Ethan <laughs> would have been dead. Yeah. Uh, anyways, let's let's talk about Grievous. This is the first time we, we've seen Grievous in a little while, and, and you kind of get the sense with that that opening duel that oh yeah, Grievous is back. Um, but what I'm really curious about Grievous is, is what is his end game in all of this? He says a lot of interesting things in this episode that he's he's not in the involved for Dooku's politics, um, and that he envisions a future with there are no Jedi, and so. What is, is, is that just his, his sole purpose? Is that the only reason he is fighting in this war? Or is he looking for something more? Is he want, uh, is he after, you know, does he think he can be what the Jedi, um, you know, what the Jedi are? Or does he think he should, he should be more powerful than the Jedi? Or is he just power hungry? Or is, does he have something in, something in particular he's looking for? David, well, what do you I... think? It, it's interesting how the Clone Wars sort of changed his background, like how Dave Filoni referenced George Lucas saying, well, Grievous wanted to be a Jedi, and so he made all these modifications to himself. And, and of course, in Lair of Grievous, the Doctor is like, if you hadn't made these changes, then I wouldn't be having this conversation. <laughs> it's interesting because, like... Did he choose the changes, or was it a shuttle crash, like in Expanded Universe, which is, of course, is Legends now, and so it doesn't really... We won't get into that too much, but <laughs> um, who who knows what his background yeah. is. And so, if he if he wants to be a Jedi, then maybe he's largely motivated by this burning, enraged jealousy that he never can be because he doesn't have the Force sensitivity. And, of course, we also see the Force always being his downfall. In a, in a battle with any skilled Jedi. And so it's it's interesting to have him reference a future where there are no Jedi. And of course, that's what happens, but not necessarily by his own doing. So. <laughs> yeah, he kind of got his wish, but not in the way he really he really wanted it. Oh, I sure, think, think? A, let's have a Grievous spin-off film. That's what I want to have. I think that would be awesome. <laughs> We're talking about all these spin-off films for characters like Han Solo, Boba Fett, and... Yoda, why why don't we just have Grievous as well? That's, I think that'd be very interesting because, as David and both of you have already alluded to, we don't we don't know we don't know anything really about his backstory. Let's be honest, because we all know now that the expanded universe is Legends universe, so it's so open, it's out there. There's 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 room to really examine the story behind General Grievous, which I think would be a very interesting tale to tell because. <laughs> I mean, what he says he he wants a future where there are no Jedi, but 
Is that it? Is uh, I mean, surely he should be happy with how the war ended then, hey? <laughs> All the Jedi were killed off. I bet he was just unhappy not to be around to see it. But I, I feel like if, if that is really his sole purpose, there must be something behind that. Why Why does he hate the Jedi so much? And, and I mean, has that been indoctrinated to him by Count Dooku? Or has that always been something that he, he, he has hated the Jedi because of a reason... That, that has affected him, whether it would be that he's not a Force user and that means he, he could never become a Jedi or if there was just, I don't know, uh, it's going to sound like a really bad example, but uh, uh, for example, uh, when, when oh, this is real world here, uh, when Adolf Hitler um, was was doing a painting and it was a um, it was a Jewish teacher who said that he would never be an artist. I mean, that's that's quite a, it's quite a brutal example there. But I'm saying, is, is there something like that that has just infuriated him to such an extent that he wants to kill all of the Jedi? I mean, if if, if, if you're going to link him onto any real world person, then that would be it, really, a real world individual. Uh, uh, but I, I, yeah, if we'll go back into Star Wars universe now. Uh, I. I I, I wish that we do learn more about General Grievous, really, because even then it's still so ambiguous. Uh, I mean, I feel like he's speaking like a lot of the fans there when he was like, I'm not interested in Dooku's politics, just like all the Clone Wars fans. I'm not interested in politics, <laughs> treachery in the Senate. No, no, no. Um, so I feel like we need, we need to learn more about his character. But what, what do you think, Dominic? What's your opinion on General Grievous's motives? Well, I, I wasn't gonna say I was gonna say he's a tragic character, but then you brought up Hitler, and now I, I don't know if I can say that anymore. But there, there is kind of a there is kind of a, a tragicness to his character is that you know he has this like unrelenting hatred for the Jedi, and you know we we look at Anakin or Vader, and, and there's this sort of this tragic nature to his downfall and how he became how Anakin became Vader, and it's this this you know being dismissed by the Jedi or maybe not even dismissed but not trusted and you know his, his rage towards Obi-Wan his feelings for Padme we look at that as so it's such a tragic downfall and then we look at Grievous as just this this evil dude you know just doing evil for the sake of evil and I think that there, there has to be something in his backstory that you know there is some kind of tragic element like maybe he wanted to be a Jedi and you know, he got turned down by the order by someone like like Mace Windu or, or Luminara or or one of those those you know less caring Jedi, who you know and and this sort of sent him off into this craze of making all these changes, kind of like what we saw in, in Grievous Intrigue in the various statues, and then you know Count Dooku found him and and took advantage of him because you know Grievous says he has no interest in Dooku's politics, he just wants to kill Jedi. And so he, he, it's almost as if he knows he's just a pawn. And, you know, Obi-Wan calls him a pawn in Dooku's game. And he just sort of says, well, I don't care. I, I don't care. I'm not a je- I, I, I'm not a pawn. I, I, because I, you know, Dooku can do whatever he wants as long as I get to kill a Jedi. And so there's that sort of, you know, it's a, such, so twisted that there has to have been some breaking point, some kind of tragic moment in his life that, you know, pushed him over the edge. Absolutely. I think that is it must be that it, some incident in the past has certainly inspired and stimulated the disposition of Grievous because there's, there's no way that one could just be born to hate in such a way. It, 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 uh, but I don't know if it's quite the same as Maul where obviously he was, well, 
We don't know if Darth Plagueis is technically canon, but I'm going to go along with it anyway. Uh, and say when Maul was found by, well, we know he was founded by Darth Sidious, and then he was, in a way, just indoctrinated to hate the Jedi in such a way. And I, I just wonder whether it was an incident that's happened in his life, because we, we see, really, uh, the the evolution of the character in Lair of Grievous into from this Kalish warrior into the cyborg that we know and many fans love uh, and, and and that is something yeah. that I, 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 I would look back to the part that there is an incident that's happened in his life I wouldn't say that he's gone to hate all of the Jedi and personally uh, from such a young age I just believe from my point of view that Grievous was jealous envious of the power that they had and if he couldn't have that power then no one could yeah yeah absolutely absolutely you know grievous is you know i don't think it'll happen anytime soon but grievous is you know uh, a prime candidate for a very interesting spinoff film if they ever wanted to do it um i think they, they just listen to this discussion for a few ideas and they'll uh, they'll figure it out uh, another character we're introduced to again for the first time in, in this arc is, is Adi Gallia, another one of the uh, Jedi Council members, and uh, she goes off on this little adventure with with Anakin uh, to take down Grievous. And, and so uh, again, just uh, what was your initial impressions of, of Adi Gallia? David, throw it to you first. Adi Gallia, um, it's it's interesting how. In the micro series, and the, during the Jedi Council meeting, all she has to say about Anakin is he's reckless with his gifts. Um, but in this episode, they seem to kind of be buddies. Like she's kind of seems to have. In the expanded universe, she and Qui Gon were supposedly really, really good friends, and so it's interesting to see that she kind of plays along with Anakin a little more, like just with their dialogue. How close is pretty close, and we're gonna be flying through hallways and all that stuff. They they seem to. Um, she seems to be one of those ranking senior Jedi who isn't as bothered by Anakin's impulsiveness and his unorthodox tactics. Um, and that's what I find really interesting about Eddie Galia as she's portrayed in the new Clone Wars series, at least in this one episode where we see them together. Yeah, absolutely. Karen, what do you um, think? I really enjoy her character as well, and... I feel like she's a bit more sassy, really. She's like a soaker in that respect, and I think that's, that's a good trait to have, really. She certainly is unorthodox compared to many of the other Jedi, and uh, she seems almost to be kind of, well, not goading with Anakin, but kind of playing along with the banter, sometimes what Obi-Wan Kenobi does. I, I see her more from that perspective, and that's what I've really enjoyed, I would say, about uh, being introduced to all of these Jedi Council members is that they're not all the same. Whereas when you see in the prequel movies, it's almost as though Mace Windu is, I guess, the conduit or microcosm of, of, of the Jedi Council in general. That, but that they all uh, follow the same philosophy and have the same traits as Mace Windu. But that's not the case, and and we get to explore that with the background of these characters and and being able to see the likes of. Adi Galia playing along with Anakin Skywalker when you'd think, well, hang on a minute, I thought that surely the Jedi Council members would be reprimanding him and saying, this is not what you're supposed to do. But they're just playing along with it, and I think that's good. And also, it's another strong female character, which is always, is always important, particularly in the Star Wars universe. And I think she, she 
as a character could have been used a lot more. I mean, unfortunately, her demise also took place in the Clone Wars, but you know, I, 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 I genuinely enjoyed her character, to be honest, and I think that uh, she could have been an inspiration for a a lot of the um, uh, of younger female female listeners and watchers. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I, yeah, I, I'm with you guys. I thought she was, you know, she was one of the more interesting Jedi. She's a, she's again along the same lines as Eth Koth for me, in that you know, she's she's not the the most interesting character of all time, but she's a she's definitely you know a, a likable character and a likable Jedi. And when we kind of see her in this one, you know, she's almost she almost looks at Anakin. I don't know if she's necessarily playing along or, or, or indulging him in his games so much as he is as she's just kind of you know, looking at him funny, like, you know, huh, so this is what it's like to work with you, you know, it almost you get the sense that, you know, any other Jedi that goes on a mission with Anakin comes back and just complains about him, you know, oh, and Skywalker did this, and he just, oh, and somehow it worked, but he could have killed everyone, and you kind of get that sense, um, you know, especially, you know, I'm sure Obi-Wan has had, has said that many a time to, to many a Jedi. I'm sure Mace Windu said it and, and anybody who's worked with Anakin. And so she's kind of like almost watching him like, I wonder what you're going to do. And she's, she sort of, you know, when he says we're going to get there, get close to Grievous' ship and she goes, how close? It's almost like, Oh, so this is uh, this is how you do things. You're going to, you know, get within two inches of the <laughs> ship and then stop, you know? Yeah, no worries. That'll be good. That should be good. Um, but yeah, definitely. Uh, one one cool shot I just want to pull everybody's attention to that I, I really liked in this episode. And it's it's not so much a point for discussion. It's just I really like this moment. Is right after the uh, the shuttle lands or attaches to the Grievous' ship. You get this sort of like zoom out on it. And you just see how tiny that little shuttle is, and how it's it's just kind of attached to this ginormous ship. It's almost like almost like something out of Spaceballs, you know. <laughs> it's kind of what you'd expect. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I just love that little moment. And of course, um, at the end of the episode, you get the the Force theme. Uh, let's let's jump ahead a little bit and, and talk about um, the Deserter because I think there's a lot of interesting stuff in there. Um, sticking with, with Grievous, since we've talked about, about him a little bit, we, we get to see a lot of him, uh, kind of, um, asserting his dominance over the droids, cause he's kind of, st- he's, he's riding on, on a reek, and the droids are walking alongside of him, and they're running out of power, <laughs> you know, like, it, it's, it's one of those things, and he's kind of, you know, again, you get the sense that Grievous doesn't like working with the droids. He, he can't stand them. He's he's always criticizing them. I, I think it was in was it in Lair of Grievous where he said something about you know you expect me to kill Jedi, <laughs> all you give me is battle droids, and and that's kind of what we get in this. We gotta get that same impression. Um, so I, I'll ask you guys, what do you think of uh, Grievous's relationship with the battle droids? Um, yeah, that's always very first. interesting, I have to say, the relationship between the two. And I mean, we were talking about that quote there when he says all they give him is battle droids, and he's got a very good point because their track record is it's not. It leaves a lot to be desired, I have to say. <laughs> I can remember talking about the malevolence yeah. arc when we had those fire droids who couldn't put out a fire. I mean, you know, if you're working with people like that, I, I could understand it would get under your skin quite a lot. But I think the main qualm that Grievous has with it is that 
you know, the, the droids in a way from the outer complex, so to speak, how how they appear is reflected in him. He's a cyborg. He is a droid, basically, and the, just a constant reminder of that. Having having to look at these droids who are inept and imbeciles, really, and. He, he just wants to shy away from that. That that's not who he is. He's clearly more smarter than these droids. But yeah, I'm he's not more smarter. Uh, he's uh, he's much more <laughs> stupid. He's much more intelligent than these droids. But uh, oh, put me off there. It's like my mum reprimanding me. Um, uh, yeah, these. these uh, anyway, carry on, David. Take over from me. I'm being reprimanded here. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, seriously. All I was going to quickly finish on was to say that. Uh, all I was going to say was that General Grievous and uh, really hates the droids more because he sees them as a reflection of himself, and uh, and that's not something that he wants to be. He wants to be that Kalish warrior before this, not the cyborg he is now. Which is, I guess, in a way, what Darth Vader probably thinks if if he was ever to team up with droids, <laughs> and why he never does. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah absolutely um, stop me if I go on a tangent but I thought really critically about this and it totally ties into oh. the Grievous droids relationship This, these two episodes Grievous Intrigue and the Deserter they're kind of a prime example of how inconsistently the separatist forces are portrayed because in Grievous Intrigue we see commando droids show up and Grievous's bodyguards and even the Jedi are commenting like um, well, no, it was Captain Locke first. He's like, watch out, they're commando droids. And um, the, the Jedi are like, well, at least they're not destroyer droids. Um, and it shows them as like a much more intimidating fighting force. And Grievous makes a comment during his duel with Obi-Wan and says, I am the leader of the most powerful droid army the galaxy has ever seen. That's really odd coming from the guy who in Lair of Grievous said, all you give me are battle droids. Um, and then in the deserter, we see the battle droids, just the basic infantry have returned and all the escape pods um, on, that landed on Silukamai. And um, other than the ones that hatch from the egg in the field, of course, but that's later. Uh, these battle droids, they're back to being like bumbling, useless, incompetent. Ow, oh, our power cells are failing. Yeah, what's the use of us even being around? Yeah. <laughs> They uh, they kind of are shown as um, man. What was I trying to get? At? It's sort of the deserter is interesting to me because it's like the last episode where we really see the battle droids portrayed so over the top, incompetent, um, whiny, bumbling. And it, it's it's weird. The deserter overall is just <laughs> yeah. this really transitional anomaly of an episode. But um, Grievous and the droids, they, they, they clearly, obviously, they don't get along. Obviously, he doesn't respect them other than maybe his bodyguards. Um, but there's, there's certainly the Grievous is now, air quotation marks, half droid, half alien. And he's, Newt Gunray has always mistaken him for a droid, and all the Separatist Council members aren't that nice to him <laughs> because of this. And... <laughs> Um, so there's definitely a, a level of resentment there, uh, almost towards the droids, just for having himself become almost one of them, but not really loving it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I definitely get what you're saying. And, you know, I, I think, uh, 
just to talk about the the separatist forces a, a little bit. I I, I think um, you know the battle droids have have always kind of been portrayed as bumbling, even going back to to Phantom Menace, and and in this, uh, you know, we do see some see some competent droids, of course, the commando droids and stuff, but. It, um, you know, I think you know, Grievous also has a has a tendency or a, a flair for the dramatic. When you know, when he's in that duel with Obi Wan, where he has four arms, by the way, yeah. going with four lightsabers. You know, the fact that he says something, you know, I am the most leader of the most powerful droid army. You know, that might be just one of his lines to like try and you know build himself up as something bigger and better and badder than he actually is. Whereas. You know, his real opinion of the droids is what we see in the deserter. You know, he can't stand them. And, you know, the B1s have always been kind of, <laughs> kind of useless. Um, but going back to the original, original point, I, I think, uh, you know, again, kind of going along with what you guys are saying is that people tend to think of Grievous and the droids at the same time. I mean, you know, if you look at the Revenge of the Sith soundtrack for crying out loud, there's a track called, Grievous and the droid. So they're, they're always interconnected. And yet Grievous sees himself as so above them. You know, he's the one riding on the, on the beast, whereas the droids are forced to walk. Um, and you know, he, he, he sees himself as so much better than them. And when, uh, you know, and he doesn't want to be equated with their, you know, bumbling, my power is failing, you know, like that kind of stuff. He, he's much more, he thinks he's better than them. And well, he is. Um, and he's just trying to uh, you know, separate himself from them. Uh, let's move on to, of course, Captain Rex gets shot I- in this arc, which was very surprising. Um, how he didn't die from that is a <laughs> miracle because it looked like he got shot right in the chest. Uh, I guess Kix says something about it a little bit later on, the medic of the group. Um, you know, two inches to the left, it would have gone right through your heart. And it's still kind of to me like, you know, if he was a stormtrooper yeah. <laughs> now, he would be dead. Um, it's, it's a bit like how, how I uh, that was a bit how it should that, have that, ended. The... Saved by a bunch of fans. Yeah, <laughs> that's what saved him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it would have you know it almost it would have made more sense you know if he had been shot in the shoulder or in the leg, but like right in the chest is like how are you not dead? Rex must be like a super clone, and you know maybe that was sort of the end game to his story. Maybe that was you know Rex was the supposed to be the first of the. The new super clones, uh, but who knows? Uh, but anyways, he gets shot and he gets taken to the farmer Cut Laquane's house. And come to find out, Cut is also a clone, but he's a deserter. And so we got a lot of really interesting stuff between Rex and Cut. But first, I just uh, you know, um, what did you think of you know hearing the story of clone deserters? First off, it's it was surprising to me that there even were clone deserters i mean it, it, it that didn't seem like something that clone troopers would do i mean that's they're programmed to fight how is this guy able to desert so um thoughts on clone deserters? Uh, it was, it it was a very fascinating concept to be honest i feel clone deserters it makes sense because there are soldiers there and you talk about you talk about soldiers that whilst on appearance they're the same they're actually very individual. They're unique. Their personalities are not the same at all, and that's probably one of the reasons why the clones were not were not used as stormtroopers because of that, you know, the, 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 the inspiration and elation 
from Django Fett. Django Fett was a bounty hunter. He didn't follow orders. He he went around looking for the highest bidder more than anything else in order to get as much money as he could. He he uh, is very unconventional, and there's no doubt about it that his his DNA going into these clones, uh, making them very you know, very very different and they're not all going to be exactly the same and you don't know what could be the trigger to make them think oh the war is not for me and we, we hear about this guy's story when his home battalion in at the battle of geonosis got killed and they were you know shooting him one by one and you can understand that maybe something in his brain just thought the night this is not the life for me and and you've had this in the real world i mean world war one's it was, it, was, it was a major topic at the moment, obviously the century anniversary since the outbreak, where there were a lot of soldiers who deserted because of the terrible conditions of warfare. So, I mean, it, it, was, it was interesting to see it in the Clone Wars, and I wouldn't necessarily – it's not something I would have thought about. But but when it was introduced, I didn't think, oh, you know, deserters, why, why would there be a deserter? This is completely incorrect. Although I say that, I might have done it at the time, but as the series has gone on, I've, I've begun to – We've all begun to realise that the clones are all individual and they all have their own personalities. And that's something that has been very, well, it's been a, a positive, great thing that's been uh, introduced by the, by the t- television series. So I think I think it does make sense uh, having these clone deserters. And we know we see them now, but what's your thought about this, David? Well, yeah, it definitely makes sense, and it did sound like from Cut's story he had some exceptionally horrific circumstances with with everyone being executed one by one after being... He said they were, like, surrounded by separatist gunships, those things from Onderon. Those were terrifying. I mean, (laughs) I'd be be running away. (laughs) Separatist gunships? But, but yeah, it was certainly realistic i thought um it was really well portrayed and um it it's it having him find salukamai and start a family um maybe like a teeny tiny bit more of a stretch but i mean still worked and and yeah we did we this show demonstrated for the first time in a way that there just wasn't time for in the prequels that the clone troopers are indeed individuals um no matter what genetic programming occurred, um, they, they still had individual personalities, individual mindsets. And, um, you know, he made, he made a comment. Oh man, what was it? I wrote this down. He, uh, with the, what did he say about the Kaminoans? Something, but cut reference to the Kaminoans. I don't think they think of it that way. Yeah. That, yeah, they don't think of yeah. clones with, as names. They just uh, think of them as numbers. I I, I, I took note of that as well because you know we just we've just seen uh, in the season six, uh, the uh, the Order sixty six arc where uh, you can definitely see that the Kaminoans don't like the uh, or don't think of the clones as they still call them the numbers on Camino. It was fives. There was like CT five 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 five, and yeah. he freaked out and <laughs> went crazy on that one Kaminoan. But but yeah. Just um, the, the show gave them individual names for the first time. We had like Cody and Gree and Backer in episode three, but in this we realized it wasn't just the commanders; it's all the troopers, which was kind of this crazy new concept. But it it worked, and it showed that the the Jedi were really also having an impact as their generals, um, really fostering and encouraging that individuality among their troops. And um, 
clearly the Jedi believed that this was something to be encouraged, and that was really interesting. Yeah, absolutely. I've, you know, I, 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 you know, the the idea of a clone deserter surprised me. I wasn't, you know, opposed to the idea. I think it's very interesting. And you know, in a sort of a what if scenario, you know, what happens to this guy after Order sixty six? I mean, like when Order sixty six gets called, I assume he would have to hear the words "execute Order sixty six for that the chip in his head to sort of you know go off and him to to go hunt Jedi. But you know. What happens when the Empire comes to Seleucami and he sees all the stormtroopers? You know, I, this would never happen, but I would love for that to be a, a plot line on Rebels. I think that would be fascinating. Um, you know, like what happens to him afterwards? Because, you know, for as much individuality as the clones have, they are still just going to turn into mindless automatons basically as soon as, you know, three words get spoken. It's it's the end of the end of Rex, and you just bring back um, you know whatever his number is, and the fives it's seats back to CT five 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 five. You know, it's just five words, it's just three words, and, and it's all over for the clones. It's it's really it's a tragic kind of story, um, and and so Rex spends all this time with Cut, hears his story, sees his family, sees how much he cares for his family, and he, you get the uh, the sense from uh, they, 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 sorry. I don't know where I was going with that. Excuse me. Then <clears throat> um, we see him basically say he's not going to tell anybody that he met Cut Laquane, that he's not going to – he's going to keep this his secret. Um, what does that say about Rex? Um, does that is this Rex sort of turning a corner in his life to the point where he, uh, you know, would consider this himself? Or does he just have a better understanding of – clones <laughs> psychology or is he just kind of you know well since i fought with cut Wayne and he has this family well i'll let him go this time um what do you guys well think? i think I'll it's it to you first. it's interesting because anakin of course is the commander that rex serves alongside and anakin is this unorthodox maverick in every sense of the word jedi and it's in, and i think it really illustrates um that depending on the Jedi general that they're serving with, this is how the clone captain or commander's personality has been shaped. Um, you've been talking about Luminara a lot, and I'm getting the sense that you're you're not fans. Um, so maybe and there's a commander. There's, <laughs> we'll there's, give <laughs> there's Commander Gree, like having no problem with Order sixty six, duty oriented, like completely like duty mindset, duty duty duty, <laughs> but. Um, yeah, <laughs> it's interesting that the show really fleshes that out and shows that the Jedi truly, each individual Jedi truly has this deep individual impact on each individual clone. And that, that really, I think that's why Rex made this decision, because he does things differently. He, um, he, has, he has more of a heart than the other clones. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, Kieran, what do you? Yeah, think? I would also go along with the fact that, like, how would this impact on Rex? It is, it is really another one of those situations where it builds on. It builds on what Rex has already seen and what Rex 
will undoubtedly endure in the Krell arc because we've already had this slick in the hidden enemy, which is one of the one of the very first episodes of, of the Clone Wars chronologically, anyway. Uh, and so he, he has been he has experienced the idea of a clone traitor, but this is something completely different to that because this is a clone deserter. Although for Rex, this is synonymous with being a traitor you know because because you're li- leaving the army as you said soldiers in world war one would get court-martialed they would get shot so it is a major it's, it's a major thing that people will look down upon uh particularly what rex did say he said you know you're going to be court-martialed we're going to have to take you back in and all sorts so it's going to arrest him apprehend him but but clearly you could see how his mood has changed by the end and He's certainly a lot more open-minded and balanced towards the idea of having clone deserters. Because obviously, it doesn't take him in at the end, and there's a really nice touch there when he says, "Well, I'll have to take you in, but in my condition, I probably won't remember any of this." So, <laughs> I thought that was such a great line. And and it, and as, as the fan, I I I'd certainly my I guess uh, appreciation of Rex certainly. Im- ameliorated improved as, as a consequence of seeing this episode because obviously there's you know experiences outside of the war zone i thought it was i thought it was just very very interesting and being able to see rex is standing before you know when he was talking with cut at the dinner scene which i think is a is a crucial scene to touch upon actually um i i thought when he was talking with cut about you know uh, you know this, this is the most pivotal point in a republic where we're fighting for for our survival against these separatist hordes. And I, I can't help but feel a sympathy for that because I expect that's what most clones think they're going to do. And they think they're defending the Republic. <laughs> when in fact it's a Sith Lord who's ruling everything and the separatists are merely pawns as much as the clones are. So it, it, it is, uh, so far as to go back to your question there of saying how, how this impacted, how the experience this would have had on Rex, it, it it's certainly starting to come out into the open now. He may have had thoughts about this before, uh, but just you know, put them away and thought, you know, got on with war duty and thought this was an absolute nonsense. But now he's been open to an actual case study, if you want to call it that, of someone who has left the army. Certainly a lot more open-minded, thinking, well, I could raise a family and it might, might not be such a bad life. But... I, I, that's kind of as far as I would see it going at this point. He's not thinking of leaving the army, but he's certainly come to the forefront, almost an epiphany moment, uh, I would argue. But what, what do you think about this, Dominic? That was quite a long rant almost there. But what do you think, Dominic? <laughs> yeah. Well, what I find really interesting about, about all this is this is the second like major experience that Rex has had that of the clones you know, choosing a different path. And of, you know, making him almost question, you know, who he is. The first uh, was back in season one with uh, with Slick and, and uh, the episode um, where there was the, the clone informant who was telling the Separatists, you know, what was going on. And then combine that with this and, you know, just being around Anakin all the time, you get the sense that, you know, Rex is definitely uh, on the path to being, you know, not your typical everyday clone and you know you really sense that like each 
major Rex point is building on the last one to go somewhere that we never got to see. Uh, you know, I think really the real tragedy of the Clone Wars is that we never got to see uh, how Rex's story ended. And, and even if his, unless they do, uh, you know, a comic series like they're doing for Darth Maul, I, I really don't know if we'll ever get to see it, it fully fleshed out how his story would have ended if, if he shows up and even if he shows up in something like Rebels. Um, but but that's beside the point. Um, you know, we we see that Rex is constantly having his eyes open to, to new ways of thinking. You know, first with Slick, with this whole idea that you know the Jedi are enslaving the clones, and then you know we have Cut here saying, you know, I, I didn't want to just be killed off in a war that makes no sense to me. And so you know, right there you have Rex questioning the Jedi, and then Rex questioning the war itself, and then. It kind of comes to a head in in the Krell arc and the Umbara arc in season four, where you know things get really, really crazy, and 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 you know I feel like there was another step that they were they were kind of working towards, and you know even possibly even the the Order sixty six arc might have built on that for Rex even more, seeing you know fives go crazy like that. Although he probably just wrote that off as another clone going crazy. Um, and then you combine this with what David said about just being with Anakin. And you have Rex. It's, it's like, where was he going? Like, I, I have a hard time picturing Rex carrying out Order 66. As much as it's programmed into it, I think Rex may have had enough life experiences that he wouldn't execute the Order. Because he's, you know, he's he's been through, again, just to go through the list again, <laughs> Slick, Cut, Krell. It's like there's got to be something more, and, and if he did go through with the order, then that is the, well. You know, I feel like from what we've seen, Captain Rex, uh, before this episode and after it, there's so much evidence to suggest that he wouldn't carry out that act. And to be honest, I am in agree with you, Dominic, in the sense that we we need to see an end game here. We need to see what's going to happen with Captain Rex because he's not there in episode three at all. He's not marching on the Jedi Temple or it. it if he's somewhere else, we don't know what happens to him. Is he on another planet? Uh, has he been killed off before that? I doubt it. But I think this is where Rebels could have become very interesting when we may well be able to see Captain Rex again or some sort of novel comic book form. We, need, we do need to find out what happens to this character because he's certainly one that is arguably one of, one of the fan favourites. And <laughs> I don't usually like to base evidence on this is madness tournament, but he was... <laughs> He was one of the <laughs> favourite clone characters, more so than Five. So I, I, I really, I really do believe that there needs to be some climax, conclusion to Rex's story. It's, it's, it's okay leaving stories ambiguous, but but we need to know where it's going. And we kind of have an idea, but we don't really have an idea. And, and that that is a great shame because he is a very popular character, very very fascinating character that we thought they were building up for something, and they probably were, but. Obviously, when it got cancelled, you know, sorry, that's, that's, ah, I've never heard the word cancelled in Clone Wars. It never makes me happy. Anyway, but just to fight, finish on the point there of Rex, we, we do need to, there needs to be some format, whether, as I said, it be television show, spin-off film, or novel where we learn about Rex and his fate. That, that We need to know that. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. Um, 
let's let's move on a little bit. I want I want to talk about Obi Wan in this episode because at the end of the episode, we really see Obi Wan very you know more emotional than we ever see Obi Wan. Um, you know, he he's fighting Grievous and Grievous gets away and he just gets all upset. <laughs> yeah. like, no, this isn't. Because somebody asks him, "Are you okay?" His answer is, "No, I'm not Do you want to okay." Sit down and have a talk. And, and, you know. <laughs> you know yeah, Obi Obi Wan has this, you know, uh, kind of you know running conflict with with Grievous, uh, you know, the, a history as he calls it in the first episode. Um, so, what did you guys think of seeing Obi Wan, you know, get so upset? What does that tell you about his, um, you know, relationship? Well, clearly he doesn't like. Kieran, it. I'll ask you I first. know that much. <laughs> no, on a serious note, like Obi Wan's always been. Yeah, as you said, he's always been frustrated. He always wants to capture Grievous, but the same. Uh, I mean, he he was like that at the end of the Grievous intrigue episode as well, though, wasn't he? Because yeah. after Grievous had scuttled away when the uh, uh, after the fight with Ardi Gardia at the climax of the episode, he was like, "Come on, we could still catch him." And then Ardi Gardia of all people was like, "No." We can't come on, Obi Wan. Anakin's leaving now. And it's like, hang on a minute. This this reminded me precisely of when Anakin was running off to find Cad Bane, and Ahsoka was said, "No, don't run off." And you know, in a way, could that be something that Anakin's kind of taken from Obi Wan? Because he certainly, when it comes to Grievous, there's just something in him that switches. It's it's like he's got to find him. He wants to catch Grievous more so than Count Dooku. But I, 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 I'm not quite sure why that's the case. And I never really got that in episode three either. It didn't seem like it was, oh, thank goodness, it's time to catch Grievous. It was like, it was more banterous. And, you know, it was, uh, you know, just, it, it didn't seem like he was that diligent about capturing and, and finding him. You know, he, obviously in episode three, it's like, hello there. And I just, come on. You've been, been after this guy for years. Surely this is going to build up at some point. And, and I, I guess maybe that, that was just a couple of times when he was like, oh, so close yet so far. That's, that's everyone there. It's just like, Ugh. we've almost got him. Although the question I'd ask myself before we keep going on in this uh, discussion here is why on earth was he trying to grab him anyway? Where was his lightsaber? Like, what was he going to do when he? Because tr- you see him climbing up there, and he like reaches out to try and get him. I mean, come on, Obi Wan, you're not going to be able to like wrestle Grievous to the ground. So I'm like, where's your lightsaber, mate? Come on, do it. sort it out properly. You don't mess around. But there would be an episode three. But <laughs> that's I guess that's neither here nor there. But I guess that's I guess that's a long winded answer saying I'm not really sure why. But the evidence that's gleaned so far is we know there is some something pent up inside him that uh, that you wouldn't expect from Obi Wan in the same way that you wouldn't expect him to be in a relationship while he was a Jedi. So that's you know with Satine, it will come on to next. So what, what do you think, David? Carry on from me. Yeah, Obi Wan's almost as full of surprises as Anakin. The Clone Wars really shows that. It's pretty cool. <laughs> Um, yeah, you pretty much covered it all. I was going to reference how in Grievous Intrigue, he's like, come on, let's get him! And Adi's like, no, Obi-Wan, no. And, um, he, yeah, the psychology of Obi-Wan versus Grievous is certainly interesting for, for a Jedi character to have a villain so under his skin, so clearly, like, getting to him. 
you know, and, and he's, he's so visibly frustrated at the end of The Deserter when he shoots his grappling hook out again, like in episode three, and, and gets away. And um, it's it's interesting how in episode three, clearly they didn't know that he had had all these past confrontations with Grievous over the course of the Clone Wars. Like, that obviously wasn't planned. It sure seemed like on the bridge of the Invisible Hand that could have been the first time they were meeting. But, of course, it also works because it wasn't as obvious as Anakin, if that makes sense. But um, they, they, yeah, their history is very interesting, and, and the way that Obi-Wan sort of taunts him with the hello there and with the, with the banter and just not really taking him too seriously or, or respecting him as an opponent, um, maybe that's just a, a cover for how truly infuriated he makes Obi-Wan, and he just, and he just plays around so that that doesn't come to the surface, you know? Yeah, yeah, you kind of get the sense that, you know, oh, uh, Gr- Grievous knows that he, he, he gets under Obi-Wan's skin, and, and Obi-Wan <laughs> kind of knows that he... <laughs> that, that, that Grievous gets under his skin, and then so there's this, this whole sense that, you know, Obi-Wan and Grievous, this sort of rivalry that they have, part of it is, is born out of the fact that, you know, I think Obi-Wan thinks... I am so much better than this guy. I should be able to beat him. Why does he keep getting away? And that's sort of what the sense that I got from that that last moment uh, in the episode where you know he, he asked for uh, you know somebody asked him how he was doing. Uh, yeah, and, and whereas Grievous sort of understands that, and I like what you're saying, David. That you know that hello there is kind of he knows that he ticks Obi Wan off, and he kind of you know lets him uh, lets him have it a little bit like. Yeah, we're just going to fight again, and I'm going to get away because I have this wheel bike hidden here, I have the spaceship hidden here, and you know, sort of how mm-hmm. things go in Revenge of the Sith, and then finally, uh, you know, Obi Wan finally shoots him down, and you know, if, if I think if, if if you know if they could go back and and you know rewrite history a little bit and put this show being in production before um, Grievous, uh, before Revenge of the Sith, um, <laughs> Grievous should have. Uh, you know, Obi-Wan should have had, like, another, a little bit longer moment of, you know, Grievous being dead. You know, like, he kind of looks down at the body. <laughs> yeah. You know, maybe yes. he should have done a little joke. Um, because maybe that's what we did. We just didn't see it. finally uh, dead. No, okay. that, that could have been what happened at the end. <laughs> it makes me laugh at yeah. that last line there when he says, oh, so uncivilized. <laughs> when I'm like, well, actually, your conversations need to be quite civilized. Because every time, like, when he was like, they said, the Jedi is hollowing, hollering Grievous or whatever. And. And then they're just having a little chat before they're about to go and fight each other. Just like, oh, how are you today? Or whatever, something like that. It's like, come on. We're supposed to be having a fight here. What are you having a conversation for? <laughs> and it's like, get Grievous, turn that off. What are you having a conversation for? Well, it's like, <sighs> terrible, terrible. Obi-Wan and Grievous. But it, it, it is a very, yeah. it's a very, I guess amusing is not quite the right, not quite the right word. Sorry about that. Um, I just feel like there is something more than just, uh, you know the fact that they're fighting each other. There's a rivalry there almost. And I think you hit you hit the nail on the head there when you said that it was really that Obi Wan knows he's better than this. He's better than Grievous, and yeah, he keeps on getting away. As Mace Windu says, he's a he's a coward. You know, he's always on the run, yeah. and that's exactly what he does in Grievous Injury. Spends a couple, you know, the last third of the episode running away, uh, trying to get away from it all. And then that's kind of that's that's the whole thing he's doing. That's the whole point of. 
uh, uh, the deserter. That's the whole point of his subplot is that he's trying to get away. He's trying to get to the question to ask somebody oh, to come. Sorry, pick I was going to say that question. All right, final um, question to ask oneself on the okay. deserter is: well, why? Why did he go to the planet in the first place? Then uh, I maybe I missed something on that because it seemed like he just wanted to go on the planet to get away, and then it was like right. We need to get an escape pod. Get ship ready. We're getting out of the planet. Uh, was was that the only way he could escape, or could he not just go and hop on another ship somewhere while he was in space? Well, uh, well, when he the ship he was on got got hit by um, some de- debris from the explosion. Uh, um, you know, Obi Wan's ship blows up, uh, and there's some debris, and it hits the ship that Grievous is on. So he kind of crash lands on Salukamai. And I think there was a line earlier in the episode about, you know, Grievous basically saying, you know, prepare for our, our ground invasion of Seleucami. Um, and, and oh, okay. The, uh, yeah. uh, and, and so that's why he was in that kind of ship. And that's sort of the reason I, I kind of got. Um, so do you guys have anything else to uh, you want to bring up from, from either Grievous Intrigue or The Deserter before we uh, switch gears and talk about well, uh, Lightsaber Lost? What in there? One yeah, super weird, weird thing I noticed, this first. is totally, totally <laughs> weird and random, but when I watched the episode this morning, I noticed for the first time there was a clone trooper in Obi-Wan's unit with blonde locks named Cries. Sam yeah. was like Satine's last name. I mean, it's spelled a little oh. bit differently. How weird is that? Wow, that is foreshadow at its finest, if that's the case. <laughs> well, maybe it just has a thing for blonde people, I don't know. Very weird. It was weird. Ma- Maybe you know Obi Wan saw him, you know, on his first day out, and this guy just dyed his hair blonde. He's like, you know what? From now on, we're calling you. Yeah. Why? Yeah. Oh, yeah. No reason. No reason at all. Yeah. No, maybe the, maybe it's always been the reason. Why? But why is clone? Yeah. Clone units are all yellow. Maybe that's just you know it's supposed to be another reminder of Satine. I don't know. Maybe no, I'm just going too deep there, but. <laughs> <laughs> That's a nice observation. Eh? I've got nothing else to bring up on Anything this. Anything else uh, you want to bring I'll... up, Karen? Yeah. Nothing else? Are... All right. Uh, well, let's switch gears and talk about lightsaber loss. So, Karen, do you have um, a. Yep. Uh, uh, I do indeed. When a wily pickpocket steals Ahsoka's lightsaber, she enlists the help of an ancient Jedi to track down her weapon and reclaim her honor. All right, yeah. Um, let's just start with the initial impressions of this episode. Uh, for me, I absolutely loved it. I think it's a lot of fun, and it's a great sort of character moment for Ahsoka. Um, David, what do you think of, of the of this I episode? I loved it. I think it, um, I, I, at the moment, I can't think of any completely standalone episodes that aren't part of a bigger arc that that did a better job of telling a complete awesome story about a character than this one did it's a really um it's a great growing experience episode for ahsoka she really uh she the whole point of it was her learning patience and slowing down and calming her mind and um like the, the scenes with her and tara sanube in the hallway those were great with just like these forced basics of quiet your mind and you can sense like the feelings and fears of those around you. So, and, and of course she also sees him do a mind trick at the hotel. And then a little bit later at the beginning of season three, she's started doing her own mind tricks on the Nemoidians. 
And and so it's interesting to see her developing more of these Jedi fundamentals, I guess. And also really cool to see how all all these various Jedi, like there was Luminara, there was a, there's Plo Koon, and then now there's Terra Sanube, all have their own little impact on Ahsoka, and maybe they're teaching her certain elements of being a Jedi that Anakin isn't all that fit to impart. That's a very, that's a very, uh, yeah, I, I definitely so cool. agree with that about, <laughs> so. about Terra Sanube. Um, yeah. Um, uh, Kieran, what do you think? Uh, I've Initial impressions. Uh, of at first, when I watched this, I thought it was an uh, okay episode, but I think this was a point here at season two when I cast my mind back. When I think that was the season where the, I guess, production and the, the episodes being played weren't were like every six weeks. It seemed like, <laughs> oh, I just wanted to get them on a weekly basis, and you never knew when they were going to come <laughs> out. And after you had the Grievous arc you know action-packed and then uh usually that would be good if it was the week after then you'd be able to you know calm down a bit more and and enjoy this episode but i think mean, i was in an action-packed mind still and, and that 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 sense i thought oh it wasn't the best episode but that was just me when i was 14 teenager and wanted just to see action every week on star wars but i i really do enjoy this episode now when i look back at it i think it is as i said one of my favorite standalone episodes is so much good stuff in here, and I think that's really embodied in a character of Terra Sanube, which I'm sure we'll we'll go on to talk about very soon. Very, very enjoyable episode, and and there's a lot of good stuff for Ahsoka's character. It's an Ahsoka-centric episode, and I mean, think that that combined with a number of elements of looking at the underworld, and and as I said, Terra Sanube, uh, all of those combined together really, really uh, made me appreciate this episode all the more. What were your initial thoughts, Dominic? Oh yeah, well, I, I'm definitely with you guys. I, I loved this episode. I thought it was it was great for Ahsoka and and Tara Sanube. I mean, come on, that guy is the best. He was he was funny. He was wise. Uh, he was very reminiscent of, of Empire Strikes Back Yoda, and and we'll, we'll talk about him a lot, I'm sure, coming up. But uh, before we really dive into Terrace Nubia. Let's talk a little bit about Ahsoka uh, and her sort of reaction to losing her lightsaber and not wanting to tell um, her her master. She was seemed to be really afraid of what Anakin would, would say or, or do to her. So um, what was your impression of that or your reaction to, to her reaction? Uh, uh, yeah, I think to you first. it's, it's, it's going to be exactly that same resemblance as to what Obi-Wan was saying to Anakin in episode two at the beginning, which is probably a, a, a bad taste in Anakin's mouth. Whenever uh, uh, Anakin was in that speeder chase, they're about to go in the nightclub and uh, Obi-Wan gives him the lightsaber and says, this weapon is your life. Don't lose it. And he's like, I'm sorry, master. Yeah. You know, it's, it, it's, it's just an important element for a Jedi. It is really in a way, what embodies it? Because it's more than just an item. Uh, it, it, it is, it's almost like a, some sort of re- religious sept, something that's of, of, of value, something of great importance to the Jedi Order that's more than just what this thief sees as just a lightsaber because she believes that is what makes the power of the Jedi, not the Force, but the lightsaber and, 
that means she's as powerful as a Jedi, which is completely wrong. And I feel like for Ahsoka, she's young as well, doesn't want to be reprimanded. And and actually, it's a, it's a very important point for her character development because what this then leads to is obviously Simon to find Simon to find it, but she learns from Terra Sanuba, which we'll talk about. And that's more important for her character development because she could easily steer the same way as her master completely then. But as you said, David, earlier, she's getting all these different influences from the likes of Plo Koon and Terra Sanube who are very different from the Anakin mold. And I feel like she, she should learn something completely here. And and I guess, I guess if you were Anakin, it was almost dogmatic, narrow-minded view of don't lose your lightsaber. Otherwise, we don't know what the punishment would be, but I mean, it's, it, I, I can imagine that I'm probably the same ilk if I've done something wrong. You know, I, I want to solve the problem, but at the same time, I don't want to tell people I've done the pro- <laughs> I've made a mistake. <laughs> you created <laughs> Try and get problem, away with yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. What do you think, David? Um, yeah, I really like how it, how this concept of a lost lightsaber mirrored what was going on in Attack of the Clones um, with Anakin losing his. And, of course, it shows, hey, there's these major similarities between the Master and Padawan. And um, uh, another small point that's a little bit of an aside is it shows how Ahsoka is gaining a little more respect for herself in the Order. And I say that because um, we see uptight, cranky old Jocasta new um, telling Ahsoka, well, I'm sure if you explain the loss to your master, he'll understand. It'll be okay. And <laughs> and I thought that was a little bit interesting, that Jocasta treats her a little bit differently um, for a powder one. But um, moving back to the overall point about lightsaber loss, um, it, it's, it's sort of the, the lightsaber, you got to think about how many possessions the Jedi have and uh, in their lives, probably not very many, and how the lightsaber is this crucial way for a young Jedi as, as a person to develop a sense of responsibility in life over something. And um, so, so that's... I see that as a big theme of the episode with the with the lightsaber being gone and her needing to find it. And then, of course, the, the obligation to find it so that it doesn't fall into a criminal's hands and cause deaths because she would feel the, the same guilt, like she would feel just as guilty as the person who struck the killing blow. And, and so that's what I think of Ahsoka and her lost lightsaber. Yeah, yeah, no, that's, that's definitely... That's definitely definitely along the lines of what I was thinking. Although, I don't know if if I quite agree with you guys uh, about how much trouble she would be in uh, for losing her lightsabers. Because of what Joe Costanu says, that, you know, it it won't be that big a deal. You kind of get the sense that, you know, Anakin, maybe from his own experience of losing his lightsaber and being reprimanded by Obi-Wan, is so... You know, like, you can't lose your lightsaber. Don't lose your lightsaber. Whatever you do, don't lose your lightsaber. And, you know, and then she loses it, and she, she thinks the scenario is, is far worse than it actually is, when really, you know, it might just be, okay, well, let's see if we can find it, and if we can't find it, well, you know, I have to build a new one, and, you know, maybe spend an extra hour reading in the library about the history <laughs> of uh, tea on Mandalore, or something like that. And, and, and that's kind of 
where I was going. But it, so I thought it was interesting that you know that was her reaction that she was willing to tell pretty much anybody except Anakin. You know, she was willing to tell complete strangers and and stuff. Like she, I almost think she would have been more willing to tell someone like yeah. Obi Wan or Plo Koon, and that she'd lost her lightsaber. Well. Anakin. Which you really want to have told Obi Wan either, because I'm sure that's what's, what's, what Anakin learned from. He probably say the same thing and say, "It'll <laughs> oh, probably be like one of those snitches saying that's it. I'm going to tell Anakin as well. You know, you're going to sit there, do extra reading. You could stay there for an extra ten hours reading about <laughs> the history of lightsaber making. And a little bit of a tangent here, but what you cast in there always makes me laugh is that she's perceived as so benign and portrayed just so benign and kind in the clone wars and yet in episode two it's like with obi-wan kenobi the least <laughs> most unhelpful librarian that you could ever have right <laughs> yeah <laughs> well i'm sure it'll turn up somewhere then you know not not very helpful i'm sorry Master kenobi i do have other things to do <laughs> come on he's the jedi he's not a jedi not master yet but a well-respected jedi here and she's just like that yeah so almost as though you're a Padawan, you're fine. You're learning still. Once you're older, you're on your own, mate. You're not helping you. <laughs> That's kind of the impression I get with your cast a new. Well, yeah. Ahsoka saved her life, too. That's another thing to remember. That's really interesting. That is true. Sort of. That I is just, true. Like, her, her body was sitting there, and, like, Kato may have finished her off. I don't know. <laughs> maybe, maybe maybe this is just Kato Parasiti in disguise um, from now from this point on. Yeah. Ooh, yeah. Right, Conspiracy. Well, well, let's let's talk about Terrace Nubaya. We're introduced to him as sort of this, you know, kindly grandfather type Jedi who's you know laughing at his own jokes and falling asleep at the computer and, and that kind of stuff. And yet he winds up being so wise and such a powerful influence on on Ahsoka. And so uh, I'll ask you guys: um, What was your opinion of, of Terrace Nubaya and and his? his impact on Ahsoka. And so, David, I'll throw it to you first. Uh, what do you think? Tara Sanube has to be one of the very coolest, completely original Star Wars The Clone Wars characters, in my opinion, at least. Um, I think, firstly, it's really awesome that he's based off unused concept art. I think he's an awesome alien design. I can't remember. I think it's like a cozy in or something like that. But uh, his, his whole dinosaur aesthetic is is pretty awesome just to show that he's this ancient 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 jedi and that's even the adjective that elderly jacosta knew he yeah. for him. <laughs> and so that, that, that was pretty funny and uh it's it's the the wisest jedi masters we always see that there's something about them that's so I, i'm struggling with the right adjective here but so unassuming like you wouldn't like Yoda's so teeny tiny and um and Terra Sanube is just just old and and falling asleep at the computer and I'm like did I doze off or like did, was I was just resting my eyes. Yeah. And uh, and yet he's this super wise Jedi and has so much wisdom to impart on Ahsoka and and um it was it was really cool to to see another Jedi playing such an important role in in teaching Ahsoka these Jedi fundamentals about patience and about quieting your mind and and I did really like how he showed her a mind trick I thought that was cool right before Sphere of Influence came up and she said she was just kind of practicing it still but um, <laughs> it, it's cool to see Jedi teaching Ahsoka things that Anakin may not be 
very fit for. Anakin may not be the best mentor on patience and on quieting your mind and that kind of stuff. So Tara played a very important role in Ahsoka's character development, and I sure wish we had seen more of him. I think we definitely could have. It was It's cool to see his cameos with all the younglings and stuff, but a couple more times with Tara might have been cool. Absolutely, yeah, definitely. Um, Kieran, what do you think? Oh, I completely echo David's thoughts there. We need to see more of Terra Sanub, Sanube, not Sanub. Uh, we need to see <laughs> more of his character. <laughs> we need to see more of this character because he's so wise, and but he, he's also so friendly. He he certainly, in my mind, is indistinguishable from Yoda of Episode Five. This is what we want to see Yoda in the prequels. What was missing? He was obviously not going to be the same character is in episode five because of how the jedi order was run the dog dogmatic and principled view outlook of the jedi whereas this one it, it, it seemed it just seemed like an adventure but it it was like it it just seemed to me like yoda and luke in a way that terror was the was always talking to ahsoka and teaching the doctrine of patience and making sure that you slow down and and all of these things combined together really were very, very important in making my, well, my enjoy, my appreciation of the character more than anything else. And I feel that this, this character's really been underused. And because <laughs> when you first see him, and David said he's sleeping there on the on the computer, and then says, oh, "I haven't been on an assignment in years." I thought, well, that's probably why, mate. You know, if you're sleeping <laughs> down at a computer desk. I don't think you're going to be the first one that the Jedi are going to look to call on a really important mission. But uh, apart from that, I thought the character was absolutely fantastic and a great joy to watch. And, and it was great as well to see that he had outsmarted everyone right at the end. He was always the smartest and most astute of the of the characters uh, in in this arc. But, you know, Ahsoka's on the train, you know, in pursuit, going at great pace trying to catch up. And, and there's Sanub on that speeder going at a snail's pace. I mean, she's like, come on, we, we, need to, we need to hurry up. And she's just like, no, I'll just we'll, we'll catch him at the train station. It's just everything about the character is just absolutely fantastic. And as a city outsmarted that, um, oh, well, I forgot the, the assailant's name now. Is it Car- Carla or something? Cassie. Or, Cassie. Cassie. Yeah. That's it. Cassie Cryer, voiced by J.B. King. Very good. Very good voice work there. And, uh, yeah, Cassie Cryer was uh, holding the holding the hostages on the train, and then Sanube comes in and just whacks her with a stick. I'm like, yes. <laughs> yes, yes, Sanube. <laughs> Kick butt. Come on, mate. Uh, I thought it was absolutely brilliant. Your thoughts now, Dominic. I hope I haven't said it. Yeah, everything. I, I think you guys have kind of said everything. You know, he's, he's Yoda from from Empire, but but a different character. You know, it's, it's got that that fun kind of uh, almost silly or, or goofy nature about him, um, and yet he's so wise and he's always you know one step ahead of everybody. You know, he's the one he figures out the whole kind of plot to get the lightsaber before Ahsoka. Well, Ahsoka's off you know running around jumping and chasing Cassie Cryer. He's kind of figured out everything and, you know, what needs to be done and, and, and going about it in such a way that, you know, he's playing off of the fact that he looks like, you know, just a kindly grandfather. And, you know, he teaches Ahsoka some very important lessons, like quiet your mind. You know, he's they're walking through those hallways and, and he says to her, you know, quiet your mind. Your fear is 
is greater than his or your anxiousness is greater than his it's very uh very interesting stuff and very powerful stuff and you know like you guys said i would have liked to have seen more of him but you know, when we do see more of him in those cameos he's training the younglings and that makes such perfect sense that this is the guy that they would have teaching you know gunji and and, and petro and, and and all the other guys and so it makes complete and perfect sense um Let's jump back to Ahsoka briefly. We see Ahsoka has a bit of a an interesting attitude with the criminals, and you know she's really, you know, we really see the Anakin's influence on her coming through because she's wanting to beat up these criminals, and you know, Snoopy kind of has to tell her to take a step back, to calm down. Um, what do you guys think of that, uh, Kieran? I'll throw it to you first. Yeah, that was really surprising. Actually, I wouldn't have. Ex- I wouldn't have expected Ahsoka, particularly in the presence of Terra Sanub, to really use coercive measures to to the, that extent. I mean, she's ready to smack him in the face there. It's like, well, even after that, though, when she was <laughs> forced pushing up against a wall, I thought, come on, Sanub, step in there and say something. Like, I mean, that's, that's that was as bad as trying to hit him in the face, to be honest. <laughs> he couldn't yeah. move anywhere. But I, it, it was very surprising, but I guess... It, it really goes to show and convey how much the lightsaber was worth to her and, and how much it is to a Jedi having to lose it. It was more the guilty consciousness on her part, thinking, I've lost the lightsaber. I don't have time now to slow down and, and be patient. I need to find it now and stop criminal criminal underworld leaders like Mac Nuvers. Is that his name? Mac Nuvers? Na- Na- yeah. Knack Movers. Knack Movers. Yeah. You get the N and the N the wrong way around. Knack <laughs> Movers. And, and, and for a time, it seemed correct. And, and the situation at the end there with the hostages, something really bad could have happened. But I feel like it was, it was certainly showing, as you said, Dominic, Anakin's influence is really uh, beginning to have an effect on Ahsoka, which is not really surprising because you've got that, but you've also Anakin's influences, but you've also got the impact of the war. <laughs> this is probably a tactic that's well used to now. You know, having to destroy droids uh, using coercion rather than mediation is clearly, in her mind, the, the principal method to get the job done. And we saw the last arc with Anakin, not to the same extent uh, as Ahsoka there did. Uh, worse in my mind when he started choking <laughs> Boggle, you know, so um, some influences are starting to filter into a soaker. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, David, what do you think? Yeah, that was a good point about she just doesn't have time. Someone has her lightsaber and she just needs to do whatever has to be done and if that means choking a few criminals, that means choking a few criminals and <laughs> Um, I don't really think um, I wasn't that surprised to see her behaving that way in front of Master Sanube just because we saw her behave that way in front of Luminara um, with Nuke Genray. Like she really, just like Anakin, she doesn't have uh, this level of restraint just because she's standing around with a Jedi Master. Um, but then I also think when there are enough Jedi Masters, um, you know, Luminara goes Ahsoka. And Tara, when she's choking Banamu or, like, throwing him against the wall, he's like, Ahsoka! And I think after <laughs> enough of those, um, you start to get a little more self-control. And um, so it was interesting to see how 
after enough outbursts, she's started to calm down a little bit and clear her mind and be more patient. And I, I think we we saw a lot more mature of an Ahsoka going forward after Lightsaber Lost. Like it was a really important episode for her, like as has been said many times. Um, but I, I do think it was transformative, definitely. Experience with Tara. Absolutely. I, I agree with you there. I, I think, uh, you know, maybe she, you know, her, her, her tendency to, you know, want to beat up these, <laughs> these bad guys or, or to threaten them, you know, she, she, she kind of gets that sort of taught out of her by, uh, you know, people like Luminara and, and Tara Snuba. And I'm sure Anakin doesn't like it when she does that because they have the very, you know, do as I say, not as I do relationship but at the same time she's also witnessed you know the the mind trick on cad bane where anakin obi-wan and mace windu all together uh you know use the force to to use to do that mind trick on on cad bane so you know, maybe she sort of saw that and thought hmm, maybe this is okay um uh, but yeah I, I it was you know it's always surprising to see one of the heroes you know completely lose it like that and you know more so than even obi-wan in, in the end of the last episode he was just kind of mad at himself mad at the situation she was you know ready to to, to kick some serious butt um <laughs> over the situation uh let's uh, let's let's talk a little bit about some of the criminals that we meet the 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 gang that, that wind up with the lightsabers, the two uh, females, uh, Ioni Marcy and Cassie Cryer. Uh, so a couple of very interesting characters. I'm curious as to what your guys' impressions of them were. So, uh, David, why don't you go first? Well, I really liked Ioni Marcy. Um, I loved Meredith Salinger as Ioni Marcy. I think she's really, really, really amazing voice talent in these episodes. And, of course, as Barris. Um but it was interesting to see how, I guess one big point that should be made first is Tara calls Cassie a bounty hunter at one point, And that was really, really weird and awkward because no one else referenced that throughout the rest of the episode. Uh, was clear, I, I just attribute it to Nube, old guy, dementia kind of. But um, it was a weird line. But um, she she definitely has a big influence on Ioni Marcy because, um, like, they're at the train station and when the tracking beacon is found on Ioni's back, Cassie's really, really mad and Ioni seems a little bit scared. And then, um, of course, when the police droids go after them, Cassie leaves Ioni behind without any hesitation whatsoever. And so it was interesting to see that relationship. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, Karen, what did you think? Yeah, the bounty hunters or the underworld, um, I feel that particularly in Coruscant, it's, it's something that hasn't really been touched upon. And, and it does really in season two, as soon as it is labeled Rise of the Bounty Hunters, I think that the, the bounty hunters should be involved at some point. But we see a lot of the Coruscant underworld, um, particularly Ion Marcy and uh, Cassie Cryer. I feel that those two characters really resemble the the effects that war's having on, on I guess criminal underworld they, they embody that because they're taking opportunities that's that's exactly what the bounty hunters are doing uh, the 
dislocation, the chaos, war between the Republic and the Separatists provides opportunities. And stealing lightsabers would have been a major thing, really, to deal with before the war. It would have been something that would have been focused and examined upon and sought after. Yet, with the ongoing war, it's something that's less common and people can put it on the black market and get away with it to speak and you see that later in the final episode lethal trackdown whenever the jedi go into the bars and says oh, i haven't seen a jedi in here in years or whatever because they don't bother <laughs> with them anymore they're, they're, they're far too busy with the war and i feel that's that's really what is embodying and encompassing the underworld more than anything else is the fact that the underworld are taking opportunities uh, such as the likes of cad bane or Boba Fett as esteem as those characters and Bosk or whether you're talking about people who are just criminals and just feel like let's steal a lightsaber and we'll get away with it and that's exactly what's happened here and in a way I guess for a, a criminal then you wouldn't blame them would you? <laughs> you're seizing the opportunity I'm not, I'm not endorsing it but I'm just saying that it could be something as a criminal that you would definitely take into consideration. What about yourself Dominic? But yeah, definitely. I, I thought they were they were interesting. You kind of got the, the impression that they wanted this lightsaber, but they didn't really know uh, how to use it or what for. Because like, you know, she she doesn't even know how to turn it on at first, <laughs> and she's just kind of like waving it around. And it's almost you, know, you kind of almost got a sense that they're a bit like grievous in the sense that they they just, they might want to be Jedi or at least uh, Cassie Cryer does, and so she's enlisted the help of Ioni Marcy to to help her out. Um, just because they want, you know, she's obviously some kind of warrior and very athletic and doing those jumps and stuff. So, you know, maybe she thought, oh, I'm good enough to be a Jedi. I should get a lightsaber too. And then she kind of wound up with, with this happening <laughs> to her <laughs> instead, uh, which is unfortunate, unfortunate for her. Um all right, I think uh, I think that's it. Unless you guys have something else you'd like to bring up about these episodes. Um, Anybody? It was the underworld for the first time. We're we're all Star Wars underworld, and I think this was the first episode that really fleshed out the animation for those scenes that were seen later in Duchess of Mandalore, and then of course in the Ahsoka chase. I thought that was pretty cool. Like the the more diverse character models finally showing up, the Rodians and Athorians and Fort running around. I thought that was a really neat part of this episode, an animation oh, transition sort of. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, absolutely. I completely yeah. agree with that. But more importantly, it set up the concept of the Star Wars Underworld website and the Facebook group. So I feel <laughs> like that was the the importance and significance, really. No, <laughs> but on a serious note, yeah. I completely agree what you were saying there um, David I feel that it really is 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 the opening of eyes to seeing the core sun underbelly we saw it briefly in episode 2 but we're starting to learn more about the the others in the war the not just the republican the separatists but whether it would be criminals felon felonies felons even uh such as the bounty hunters and later when we look at the next arc whether it's peacekeepers and senators who are looking to end the war and restore peace amicably and and that, that, that that's really what is so good about this series is that it opens 
and expands the Star Wars universe in such a way that you wouldn't really consider in the films. It was briefly touched upon, but you start to understand the intricacy, if that's a word. I think I just made that up. The, the, uh, the I guess, uh, elaborate uh, disposition of, of Coral Suns and the planets in general. And by the time we get to the season five finale, you really do gain an appreciation for the underworld. yeah absolutely all right let's shift over to our favorite quotes uh david since you're the guest uh, do you have a favorite quote from uh any of these episodes or any group of these episodes perhaps you meant to be a little rude oh that was terrible i like that (laughs) that was great yeah it was good it was good Um, or some other ones Hey, um, of course, when he was sleeping, and I was just resting my eyes, and then, of course, he meets Ahsoka, and he's like, I don't know you, do I? <laughs> do yeah. I? Yeah, be, be careful, you're going to wind up taking all the good quotes from that scene. Yeah, I don't mean to hog the Terra stuff. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, just, I, I loved Terra. Yeah, great. he was great. He was pretty great. Um Karen, uh, do you have some, do you have your quotes ready, or do I need to? Go? <laughs> I love how this has become the norm now, but I feel that I might actually be ready. Uh, oh, excellent! I know this is a rare occurrence, David. This usually does not happen. Um, let's, <laughs> let's go with the grievous ones first. Then uh, I think the funny scene is when Grievous and the droids, after their uh, oh, running out of power scene, they go up to the escape pod, and Grievous immediately. He's barking in order, saying, is your transmitter working? And the droid says, I don't know. I haven't used it yet. <laughs> and then he smacks him in the face. And he's like, all right, I'll check on it. It's stupid battle droids. I thought that just really sums up the relationship <laughs> between Grievous and the battle droids more than anything else. And that certainly made me laugh. Um, and another one for actually the early episode, Grievous Intrigue, which I think we've kind of touched upon. But it is uh, when Adi Galia and uh, Anakin are obviously – um, well, looking to go to uh, find go to Salukamai and find Obi Wan and get involved in the action, <laughs> and he says, and they, they manage to jump to hyperspace, get out right up to Grievous's ship, and says, "Was that close enough for you?" <laughs> and he says, "Any closer, <laughs> and we'd be flying down hallways." <laughs> I thought that nice. was a good one, and a final one for uh, lightsaber lost, just because I thought it was such a rubbish joke, uh, but it made me laugh anyway. Was when they find out that it was Bannerman, this uh, aquatic being, and and uh, Terra Sanube says, "Sir, you're saying there's something fishy about him." <laughs> it's just such an awful joke, but I, I, I love that he laughed at it like it was the funniest thing. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that was what made it. It was right. so good. Yes, and David, you say you have another quote. <laughs> the best part of the deserter, I thought, and it was something that Kieran brought up, was that dinner scene where Rex finally sort of states the motivation behind all the clone troopers, so that you can assume is behind most of the clone troopers' actions when he says, I'm part of the most pivotal moment in Republic history, and if we fail, then our children will live under an evil I cannot well imagine, and I thought that was a really, really, really good line just for finally illustrating what's going through the clone troopers' minds. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, absolutely. One more. Yeah. <laughs> oh, one more? <laughs> <laughs> um, it's the final line 
um, in Lightsaber Lost when Sanube says, um, pass on what you have learned, uh, a lesson in patience. I just feel like that was, that's a serious line, but I feel like it's, it's, it's the important message that we're all trying to take from the episode. And I feel that it is certainly a, a, a great line just for life in general, to be honest, not just the Clone Wars. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And for me, I, uh, from uh, from Grievous Intrigue, uh, I, I definitely love the uh, the scene where, where Grievous says, and be alert, where there is Kenobi, you will always find Skywalker not far behind. <laughs> I kind of love that. It's almost like Anakin and Obi-Wan have become this sort of this tag team of, of Jedi Knights. Um, and then for, uh, for the Deserter, uh, I, I just sort of one of the funnier lines that just kind of amused me is when... Uh, Cutler Queen's uh, daughter, I think, says uh, is describing the commando droids out in the field, and she says they hatched from the big egg in the field. <laughs> an amusing little moment uh, of childish fun. And, and then, lastly, uh, from Ter- great quote from Terrace Nube, you know, the value of moving slowly is that you can always see clearly the way ahead. Uh, love that quote. Thought that was fantastic. Such a great thing, and and of course Ahsoka's line of "For a guy who moves slow, you always seem to get ahead." Yes, uh, good stuff. Good, good stuff. All right, so that is going to wrap things up. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Let's do some final thoughts and score out of ten. So, David, I will throw it to you first. Final thoughts on Grievous Intrigue, The Deserter, Lightsaber Lost, and then scores out of ten for the two arcs. Grievous Intrigue and the Deserter, I would probably have to go with an 8 overall for these two episodes. Um, I did think that, as funny as they were, the battle droids were a teeny tiny bit over the top. But it is also kind of funny how they sort of packed all the rest of their over-the-top battle droid stuff into that one episode, because I really can't think of any instances after that where the battle droids were in the spot, at least the B1s, were in the spotlight that much. Maybe on Onderon a little bit. I can't remember. But um, it, yeah. it seems like the, the Deserter was a very, very interesting episode and in that it seemed to have a lot of... Trend, and the lightsaber lost, too. Um, just in terms of, like, the animation and the way it looked, um, it, it really improved, I thought, in those ones. And <laughs> saw that in Lightsaber Lost with the more diverse character models in the underworld and how we finally saw more of the city... Um, but I would, I would give Grievous Intrigue and the Deserter an 8, and Lightsaber Lost, I really can't think of any reason not to give it a 10. Between 9, like, between 9, let's say 9.5. Okay. Clone Wars. That was all. That was almost. That was almost the second ten out of ten ever given on the show. Still only one so far. I gave the. uh, the Cad Bane arc, a 10 out of 10. But uh, Kieran, how about you? Uh, scores out of 10 and final thoughts? Uh, I'll go with a Grievous. Grievous score, I'm going to give that one a 9 out of 10. I thought it was a fantastic duology. And it was what I really appreciated and enjoyed about the episode was seeing Grievous kick some ass. Come on. This is what we've been wanting yeah. to see in a long time. And I feel that they didn't quite get it right at the start of Season 1. And they didn't quite get it right later in episodes such as Bombad Jedi and uh, not Bombad Jedi, sorry, uh, the season four episode with Jar Jar and Boss Leone. That's Warrior. it, Shadow oh. Warrior. That's the one. And uh, there were just a couple where they didn't quite get it right, but this one I feel like they executed it to perfection. And 
Really enjoyed seeing Grievous in this. Great action pieces as well. Eve Koff as well. That was a great to see introduction of Eve Koff and Adi Galia. And all in all, we got to see as well more about Rex and his and his story behind it. I think it was just fantastic and almost flawless, but I can't give it a 10 out of 10, unfortunately, because uh, <laughs> I, I saved that for the really special ones. So, and there's, that's probably why we haven't given any 10 out of 10s thus far, apart from the Cad Bane arc, as you said, Dominic. And for the lightsaber lost, lightsaber lost again, I think that, that's probably the best standalone episode that I, from, from what we've seen so far, at least, uh, I don't want to make the jump and claim that it is because there might be one down the future. I say, actually, that was the best. So I would say that <laughs> what we've seen so far, this has certainly been one of the best ones. And I feel that it's, particularly as you're, as one is older, uh, you begin to appreciate as well that that when you're going through the arcs as we are now, that you really get to get to examine more about the, the criminal underworld and you get to look away from the war because you don't always want to be seeing uh, war action every single week. It's just you take a little breath away from it, see what's happening here in Coruscant Underbelly, and that's what's really, really good with the series, as I've already mentioned. So the, Terra Sanube as well. Oh, can we have can we have our own movie? I know I keep saying spin-offs here, but <laughs> I think he'd be fantastic to learn, particularly him and Yoda. That would be, oh, that'd be fantastic. Ooh, so th- th- those fantastic. are things... Put that out there to Lucasfilm. There we go. <laughs> and oh, uh, as, as much as I could say, it's absolutely great episode. And I'm giving that one a nine and a half out of ten. Nine and a half <laughs> out of ten. And so I pass it on to you, Dominic, for your reviews on these episodes. Yeah. So uh, for Grievous Intrigue, uh, so much fun. That was that, just an all-out action. All kinds of crazy lightsaber battles going on. So much fun. Uh, and, of course, uh, some great introductions to new characters like Eeth Koth and Adigalia. Um, so much fun stuff going on in there. And then, of course, the deserter kind of take things, slow things down a little bit. Not too much, but a little bit. And we get to really explore Rex um, uh, sort of through Cut Quain and through seeing Rex's reaction to this guy who... Um, is basically it was just like him and yet is doing the exact opposite of what Rex thinks is right and that was so interesting and again it's it's really it's a real tragedy that we didn't get to see the uh, the end of, of Rex's story play out on the series hopefully we'll see that in another medium so for Grievous Intrigue and the Deserter I'll also give it a 9 out of 10 so much good stuff uh, and you know some of the best action I mean I know we talked last week about uh but landing at Point Rain, but I think I think Grievous Intrigue rivals landing at Point Rain, not in the same style of action, but in terms of uh, the amount and the the cool factor of the action. As for Lightsaber Lost, um, I, I can't say enough good things about this episode. I mean, Terra Sanube is just he belongs on the Jedi Council. Why he's not on the Jedi Council is the reason that the Jedi fell. I mean, this guy is obviously the wisest of, of, of a lot of a lot of the Jedi. He's a lot wiser than some of those Jedi on the Council. And to see him interacting with Ahsoka was was fantastic. Ahsoka, her uh, you know her growth from this episode, her learning from it, uh, and it was just a fantastic episode. And I know, um, Karen, you say that you saved tens out of tens for the really special episodes. This was a really special episode. <laughs> so I'm going to give it a ten out of ten. Yeah, we need like a sound effect for that. That like a big like need a football cheer or something. Okay, okay, a football yeah. crowd cheer. That is a good one. 
<laughs> next yeah, next exactly. time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, next time. Next time. All right, so thank you everybody for listening. Uh don't forget you can catch this show every other Tuesday um by going to starwarsunderworld.com or by subscribing uh to the Star Wars Underworld iTunes feed. That's where you will also find my other show, the Star Wars Underworld podcast. That's where we talk about all things Star Wars each and every week. It's recorded live on Thursdays on channel 1138. And if you're ever listening to channel 1138, you never know when you might hear this show pop up live at some point. Um, don't forget to like us on Facebook by going to uh, facebook.com slash Clone Wars Strikes Back or just searching the Clone Wars Strikes Back. Um, you can email us clonewarsstrikesback at gmail.com if you want to send us your thoughts on these episodes or the episodes which we will be discussing next, which is the Mandalore trilogy from season two. Um, don't forget to follow us on Twitter at TCW Strikes Back, uh, or you can follow me personally at DominicJ25 or Kieran at CWN6. David, do you have Twitter? Echobase Media has a Twitter. Echobase Media. Well, how can you Media oh. Twitter? I think it's just. Um, let me see here. I think it's just Echobase Media. Echobase <laughs> Media. All right, and uh, don't forget to check out Echobase yep. Media because David has all kinds of fantastic signings always going on. David, why don't you tell us uh, what's coming up next with uh, Echo Base? This summer, we're hosting an exclusive private autograph signing with Tasia Valenza. She was um, Jedi Master Shakti in the Season 3 premiere, that awesome, awesome two-parter with the clone cadets, and then of course she popped up again in the Lost Missions for the Order 66 arc, and all that dark, tragic, horrible stuff. So... (laughs) We're going to be meeting with her, and she was also Calio Dejanis. Don't know how to pronounce that, but she was another character in Star Wars The Old Republic, and also one of those very, very few who's been involved with both Star Wars and Star Trek, because she was a full <laughs> generation. So, good stuff. We're really excited to meet with her and get some shock tea autographs out there. Yes, absolutely. Yes, absolutely. absolutely. Absolutely, and uh, don't forget, if you're in the Santa Rosa area on June 21st, to head down to the convention that will be going on where you can meet uh, Chris Edgley, who you heard on the show, uh, courtesy of Echo Base Media. And you can keep up with everything that David is doing with Echo Base Media over at echobasemedia.com. Um, Kieran, why don't you tell us uh, what's coming up on Expression FM? Expression FM, well, the football season today in the Premier League has come to a close, so next week is going to be kind of a roundup of everything that's happening this season, but uh, I don't think I'll be on the show, unfortunately, because I have got an exam on the Saturday, which is really annoying, but uh, it has to be done, unfortunately, and uh, I know you've had your own troubles with exams, Dominic, strange times so no, I, I feel the pain right here um, so there's well the, the people can listen to the show at any other time though as uh, it's 24-7 Expression FM and there's always music playing so please please do go on www.expressionfm.info and that's where you can listen in or you can go and find out uh, on the media formats through Facebook, which is w, which is www.facebook.com slash expressionfm. Or you can follow at Twitter at expressionfm. And if you're following me, you'll probably find out I send a lot of tweets into expressionfm. So if you're wondering what half the stuff means, then please go out and check for yourself rather than me just ranting about some 
something that you really think, what on earth is he talking about? So please <laughs> focus on the questions because sometimes the answers can seem very strange otherwise. <laughs> and Dominic, back to you now, mate. <laughs> All right. And uh, between shows, don't forget to... Um, check out StarWarsUnderworld.com for all the latest breaking Star Wars news, including Episode 7, Star Wars Rebels, spin-off films, Battlefront, all kinds of crazy stuff coming up in the Star Wars galaxy. So thank you, everybody, for listening, and may the Force be with you.